Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorum and be inspired. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Sanctum Socorum Live. I'm Keeper Jen. And with me today are Keeper Mark. Hello, everyone. And Keeper Bob. Hey, folks. And we are deeply honored to once again be rejoined by author Michael Moorcock, creator of Elric, Hawkmoon, Jerry Cornelius, all the, all, all the great heroes, right? This month sees the release of Caribbean Crisis and Voodoo Island, which is a revised and expanded version of his first published novel, along with a prequel story. Mike, welcome back to the Sanctum Sacorum. It's awesome to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Ah, oh, it's been too long. <laughs> so much has <laughs> happened in the past year. <laughs> <laughs> Not to me. Oh, I suppose it has to me too. Yeah. yeah. I just yeah. forget. <laughs> <laughs> I so Mike, I'm kind of curious. Like, what was it like to revisit your very first novel? So oh, many well, now, um, so many years later. It, it, it was horrible to revisit it. <laughs> Um, because there were it 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 had many hands involved or several hands involved in in uh, in writing it. Uh, my friend Jim Cawthorn came up with with these as it were the central plot plot element, um, the mystery element. Um, I then wrote it um, set in Cuba. And being, and particularly at this time, it was uh, 1959, 60, something like that. Um, Cuba was not, had not been demonized. And uh, so there was, there was quite a lot of uh, uh, hope involved in, 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 uh, in the revolution uh, in, in America as well as in, as, as in England. Um, but my, um, the editor of the Sexton Blake Library. It was a series um, uh, which is probably probably one of the longest running series, if not the longest running series of detective uh, stories um, from the 1890s to the present. Wow. Um, uh, uh, anyway, he was he was the editor, and and he was he was an actual fascist. He was an actual member of the fascist party. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! And, uh, he was a nice guy. I mean, we got on very well, but uh, but but not on politics, uh, obviously. <laughs> um, and he he was he was a, he was basically a drunk. I mean, he he um, he was a very nice drunk and 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 just just nuts as far as politics went, but um, he didn't like my politics in the in the Cuba in the in the story, 
Um, I don't think it was actually Cuba. I think it was a, a South American republic, you know, as it were, or rather an island republic. And uh, um, Caribbean republic, yeah. Um, and uh, so he changed all the politics. So by the time it came out, which was about two years, I think, after I'd written it, he had rewritten the politics um, and um, underpaid me for the book, I have to say, um, and generally messed around with it so much that I just couldn't, I couldn't really face looking at it much. It, it wasn't, I didn't, I've never really claimed it as my first, my first book. And it's not really a novel. I mean, the, the original wasn't really a novel. It was, it was, they were novella, long novelettes, I suppose. They were published in it like, like tiny. If you if you think of a of a like a Doc Savage, or, okay. or, or mm -hmm. something like that, they um, the British version of that were like tiny sort of um, paperback size, um, and about the same wordage as as a as say a Doc Savage or you know any of those um, pulps that that. That's still and respectable. Novel length stories. What? Sorry. <laughs> that's still respectable length. Oh yeah, yeah. It's still, that's that, I'm, 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 but it's but it's not really a novel. I mean, they used to call it a novel all over the color, as as of course um, they always will. But, uh, <laughs> but, but but strictly speaking, it it was a it was a long 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 novella, um, and uh, so I, I was sort of disappointed in it, and I always planned to rewrite it. And uh, but every time I came to rewrite it, I just I couldn't face it. It was just awful. And I have a friend, um, uh, Mark Hodder, who really should be here, except he's in Spain, um, so he can't be here. Um, at least not with me. Um, but Mark, um, Mark, Mark has written some some very good um, detective sort of uh, supernatural detective stories, like Spring Hill Jack. Uh, yeah, Spring Hill Jack, and he and he's he's very well versed in the, um, as it were, British penny dreadful um, come pulp uh, tradition. So he knows a lot of that stuff as 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 much as I do. And he runs a he runs a site for the Sexton Blake uh, fans. Um, so he, he's very he he's got probably I would I say probably I think he has to be the biggest. Um, largest collection of Blake um, stories ever put together, um, more more in, indeed than there were in the files of, of Fleetway Publications who published it. Oh wow! Um, there, oh. There's uh, they because they, they, he was incredibly popular, so they published him in in uh, again. There there's nothing nothing like it in America quite. It's there were uh, boys' papers, which were um, made, they were weekly papers, and they were made up of maybe six stories, some of which were serials, some of which were, were, were single stories. Um, and they, they, they came out of the, um, of the Penny Dreadfuls, which tended to be, um, I, I suppose, sort of about this size, um, whereas um, the, uh, the, the big boys' papers, like Boys Friend and Boys, I can't remember. I've, I've got a bunch of them myself, but but there's so many names. Um, were, were were tabloid size, um, 
And uh, no, they were bigger than tabloid size. They were they were bedsheet size. And so they're very hard to keep. I mean, and they're, they're all falling apart, of course, and bits of them. My, my room is just a, you know, um, a, a, a pit fill, <laughs> a pit of poison as far as uh, allergies are concerned because these things keep breaking up all the time. Um, you can't do anything about it. I suppose you could. I'm leaving them to um, Texas A&M, who've got a, a big collection of, of uh, popular fiction. Um, so presumably they'll be able to do something and keep keep them reasonably well preserved. But the, 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 so those those started in the eighteen I don't know eighteen eighties and and ran um, until around nineteen. Uh, 1910 or something like that and then they, they began to cut, become smaller I think because the probably because the racks you, you uh, most things were getting smaller and, and they'd fit on the racks better hmm. sorry about this. this is all this is all boring anyway finally the Sexton Blake Library I should have brought some examples but anyway, um, that came down to this little sort of pocket size just slightly squarer than a, than a, than a paper than an ordinary regular paperback, but they fit in the pocket. And there were and Fleetway were the at that time the largest publisher of, of uh, popular uh, publications in the world. I mean, they had they had a vast number of, of, of these titles, many of which were that size, some of which were sort of quarter, more or less quarter size. And Sexton Blake appeared weekly in a paper called The Union Jack, which had nothing to do with uh, the title and nothing to do with Sexton Blake. It just had slowly morphed into, into his, his regular weekly paper. And uh, there were a lot of people wrote, you know, a lot of pretty well-known people wrote, wrote for, for Blake, uh, often as you know, their staff in, in, in writing through us. Leslie Chartres, for instance, of uh, The Saint, wrote, wrote um, quite a few Blakes. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, yeah, quite a lot of other people did. Anyway, and they they often what what we called it was deblaking. They often took out the name Blake, which was which which was copyright Fleetway, but nothing else was. And they added in a different name. I mean, sometimes just just cross through Blake and put in you know Smith or whatever name you wanted. And then you could sell them to. Um, to hardback publishers, usually library publishers, who, who published a vast number of library, uh, lending library um, books. So a lot of these went, went, in, went from, from being Sexton Blake libraries into, into um, the, again, I'm not sure, I don't know if the tradition existed in, in the States. It was, uh, we had public libraries, which tended to, you know, to, Give you the, the the slightly posher fiction, and then there was there there were um, little lending libraries, very much like people used to have a video library in the back of their store. You know, not 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 not. Oh. Um, so they they'd have like a wall of of, uh, of books. You know, you could take out for it was tuppence a week. Uh, I used to get them regularly. My mother used to get the romances, and uh, and I used to get. Well, mostly the Edgar Rice Burroughs and you know, and the various other science fiction that that 
or fantasy, or occasionally the the thrillers that, that were there. A lot of the thrillers had, as I say, been been taken from Blake's. And I slowly realised this as a kid. I mean, I hadn't done any research. There wasn't an awful lot of research about at that time, but I slowly realised that these stories were very similar. <laughs> and uh, you know, what I'd read in the Sexton Blake Library was was turning up in uh, in an ordinary novel. Um, so. Um, Anyway, that, that, that's the sort of background, roughly the background of Sexton Blake Library. It ran monthly. Um, first of all, it had, uh, I think it was uh, four copies a month, then it was five copies a month in its heyday. Then it went down to, in the end, it, uh, when I was editing it, uh, or one of the editors of it, um, it was uh, it was down to two, two, two copies a month. And that was into the 60s. Then after that, it went into paperback, straight paperback format, and um, and slowly disappeared until um, Rebellion um, bought the rights of the Fleetway back backlog. Their copyrights, not not the not the actual books, but the rights to their their, their characters, because really they wanted 2000 AD, which was the um, the 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 magazine that sort of launched people like Alan Moore and and, and so on, and uh, those were the, the, the only to discover. I think that a lot of those were actually owned by the authors, so they didn't buy them anyway. But which I was quite pleased to hear about, I must say. <laughs> but um, anyway, that's who, who published this. These they they um, they they published about. Um, I think. I think they had an. Um, they were ambitious in what they wanted to publish of Sexton Blake, but I'm not sure they sold as well as they hoped. I think it's probably niche publishing rather than uh, major publishing, like like the way people again reprint um, reprint Doc Savage and the Spider and you know and all the various detective and science fiction pulps that that people people do. Um, so um, they. Uh, I think they did four anthologies, which Mark 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 put together for them, of Sexton Blake stories, some of the best, um, and they were often extremely good and very well written. I mean, like you know, as I've often said, there are no pulp authors; there are people who write pulp fiction. You know, um, that you know, and it's a matter of choice. It's a very very good writers who wrote for the pulps, as we know. Um, in science fiction, I mean, there wouldn't be any American science fiction, at least if there weren't any pulps. Um, so, um, so that was that. That was essentially what happened. And and the, and so, Mark suggested that since I was dawdling and was probably going to die before I ever did anything about it, um, that that uh, that he 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 rewrite um, Caribbean Crisis. And while we were working on that, um, we decided to make it, which I, which I'd always really wanted to do, to 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 use characters. Um, for many people, the heyday of the Sexton Blake uh, series was the 1930s, the sort of 20s and 30s, pre between the wars, and uh, a lot of the great characters, sort of super villains, as it were, that he was up against came up in those times, including Zenith the Albino or Zenith the Albino, as he's pronounced in America, <laughs> and you worry about Caribbean. <laughs> um, but um, anyway, um, uh, 
anyways, um, so I'd already, as it were, incorporated Zenith into a series I'd done called The Metatemporal Detective and use Zenith as the, as the major villain there because there's no, it, there was no copyright on, on Zenith. There was only copyright on Sexton Blake. Um, and after I'd, uh, there, 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 was, there was one really good novel by, um, I think the guy's, the guy's name was George Phillips, but he wrote as Anthony Skeen. And as Anthony Skeen, he, um, he, he published this one uh, hardback novel, which was not a, not a reprint of any kind, an original novel called uh, Monsieur Zenith which had one of the worst covers on it I've ever seen. And he was, he was so disappointed with its bad sales that he, he never wrote another one, which is a great shame because he was a, he was, he was a pretty outstanding thriller writer. Um, um, wrote too much as most, you know, as most, as most pulp writers did. Um, but the very best of them are, are as good as, you know, as good as anything else you, you find. Um, and so, Anyway, Mark and I decided that we would start using the the supervillains rather than the just do them as straight straight thrillers because that, those are the ones we like best. And uh, Caribbean Crisis had uh, um, God, I've forgotten his name now, but but one of one of one of the one of the supervillains in in that uh, called that's right Huxton Rhymer, who was a who was a um, a surgeon um, and a, a doctor who'd gone wrong. I mean, he was he was he's a very rather complex character, which is, which many of the best ones were, in that he was you know sort of mixed between good and evil, and he wanted to become good, but he couldn't help being evil, as it were. <laughs> and he had a, he had a, a girlfriend called Mary Trent, and uh, she she was. Uh, and we we liked her too. So so anyway, we decided that we'd 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 rewrite Caribbean Crisis as um, as 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 one of that kind of Blake's. Although we we set it fairly late, um, and uh, then while we were talking about that, we we thought of another a, a sort of prequel to that story, um, using some of the other characters, uh, including uh, Marie. What was that? Oh God. Marie, it wasn't Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen, but she, there was, a, there's a, there was one of the other supervillains was was this voodoo queen. So we decided, since we were, we were writing writing about the Caribbean and and uh, and so on, we'd have her in it too. So so we um, so this, the 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 second book that we wrote together, as it were, was. Uh, Voodoo, I think is it called Voodoo Island? I haven't got a copy. Rebellion are incredibly um, mean about 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 sending out copies. I mean, authors don't get copies. You actually have to buy them. Um, they give you a fifty percent discount, which is very generous. Um, but anyway, um, that that's 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 Mark and I have since begun to write um, a very strange series using the metatemporal detective. But also using Zenith the Albino, so we get uh, and Zenith. Zenith was my um, inspiration for Elric. Um, needless to say, I mean, and and a very similar sort of character, somewhat tortured and and you know and and not sure whether you know whether he's doing good or bad and that sort of thing. And uh, um, 
so we we out of out of out of those two uh, short novels, which are in this, the one book, we decided to start doing um, Zenith, Zen, a kind of modern Elric, in which the Elric mythos was incorporated into modern, um, as it were, modern um, modern iconography. So um, in, instead of being from from Melnibane, is from a small Romanian principality, which was often hinted at in the stories, and uh, he um, and the and the the black sword and all the various stuff that's in the Elric books has been put into uh, or appears as part of the iconography of the of the uh, of the first one, which is which Simon Schuster bought uh, recently, and it's. Uh, it's called um, <laughs> um, that's the Albino Secret, I think, and uh, and it features this again. It's it's sort of like a modern Elric um, with uh, the metatemporal detective as the uh, as the as 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 obviously his his uh, his um, counterpart. Um, and I and I, I I'm. I mean, we 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 really enjoyed doing it. It's it's again set in the thirties. It's um, it's really a sort of race across a Europe which is becoming increasingly Nazified, and uh, so that uh, you know Romania, Hungary, all the all the um, all those countries which were, as it were, toppling to some form of Nazi Nazi dictator, were. Um, you know, w- 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 that was happening, um, and it allowed us to to um, well, it gave us a lot of good villains, of course. But it also we we had so we had Zenith and uh, the Metatemporal Detective essentially teaming up to to deal with um, a bunch of Nazis, and not 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 mostly not German Nazis. I think they were they were Romanian Nazis. Um, mostly Romanian, <laughs> um, and some of it set in in Istanbul, and some of it set you know in, in other parts of Europe at the time. And since then, we've also started to write um, uh, a series of of, uh, of one of the things I want to do is rewrite one or two of the metatemporal detective stories that I did, um, which Pyre published about uh, about twenty years ago, I think. Um, and uh, so I'm, um, we're we're working on one or two of the ones I didn't like very much, which weren't that good. They were done, they were done to commission at a time when I really shouldn't have accepted the commission. You know, they're, they're too hurried. So um, so we're going to rewrite those first, and then we've got about I don't know. Um, that means you have to reread them again. <laughs> Uh, well, yes, but I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not quite. I remember so bad that you hate that. Um, it's it's it, they're, 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 it. One of the one that I don't like most has George Bush in it, but it's 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 a rather simplistic. Um, you know, um, it's it's it was actually even I think it was written before George even started the. Um, well, I mean, I believe that the the that Bush's invasion of uh, of Iraq. Gave, uh, as it were, Putin permission to invade uh, Ukraine and so on. I think it set off an entire chain of, of, uh, of, of, as it were, un, un, uh, un, 
what unfair and illegal wars really because it was uh, you know false flag wars where you you pretend there's something there that isn't there and and then go in i mean i was one of those who never believed for a moment there was any yellow cake or anything like it um the whole psychology of the situation showed that bush was basically trying to do better than his dad who actually was a much more sensible um and intelligent um diplomat than than uh, than than George Bush Jr could ever have been so i think the whole thing come start well i mean you could say it started from uh, from uh, of course i mean i have to say it started from from the the two towers as well i mean without the two towers he probably wouldn't have had the excuse to go into to iraq but why iraq i've still no idea since it had absolutely nothing to do with with um with the two towers um but um but i think those two figures anyway were were the you know on both sides as it were our side and their side were were responsible for what's for the for the state the world's in at the moment as far as wars are concerned um and it and to me i mean i don't want to go on with this too long but but um since i can set stories in the 30s which was another age of dictators and right wing um rhetoric coming to the fore um i i i feel i can you know i can express some of the some of the uh concerns i have about about the current current situation of the world which looks pretty bad to me i mean i'm I'm, I'm always optimistic and I, I'm always well I'm always hopeful but it's pretty hard to be optimistic and hopeful with you know with wars of the kind that are breaking up what's going on in in Israel what's going on you know um in in uh, Ukraine in particular but I I don't think that's all this that's going to you know I think we're very we've got to be very very careful or we'll find ourselves in a a very serious war and since since so many of the nuclear bases in america are set in texas i'm particularly worried <laughs> it's of particular interest yes, i can understand um, um apparently um kumal jung um has uh, has um uh austin is his prime target if a, if a nuclear war ever breaks out because apparently oh, no. the most the most military bases <laughs> and and uh, you know the most nukes around so so they've got to get rid of us first which i suppose in some ways will, will, will be will be a plan you know i'd rather, <laughs> rather i'd rather not see the rest <laughs> the sequel well, well think thinking about wars in, in a in a uh, less despondent tone for a moment i i recently learned uh, while i was while i was doing some research that you worked on the screenplay for one of my favorite movies when I was younger, The Land That Time Forgot. You were, you oh, were yeah. talking about I, having yeah. Red Burroughs. So I, I, did, I did that whole screenplay, actually. Um, Jim, what happened was that Jim, again, Jim Cawthorn, um, who's primarily known as an artist, but we worked together as writers quite often, too. Um, Jim, uh, Jim had already broken it down into a, into a comic um and so he had the breakdown so i used his breakdown to write my script um and that's how we worked on that um and we we luckily had egdrice bars incorporated were um 
were on our side. They 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 refused the producer's script, which was absolutely abominable. I mean, really, really bad. If you've seen the later films that they made, you've got a fair idea about how bad they were. Um, uh, and they, 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 for some reason, named me. I have no idea why. I mean, I had, of course, edited Tarzan Adventures many years before that. And and you know, and I was an Edgar Rice Burroughs fan, and uh, I think I had a phase when I when I wasn't a fan for a, for a few years, you know, the way one does, and then I came back to it, and, and, and I'm, I'm a fan again. Um, but anyway, um, so they insisted on on me doing the script, um, which is very very rare for you know for you to get that kind of backing. And without me doing the script, they wouldn't let them have the rights to do The Lamb That Time Forgot. So Jim's also a great I mean, we, we started together on uh, Barraziana, the fanzine that I, the Grice Barras fanzine that I used to do in, in the 50s. And uh, um, so, so, you know, we, we were both keen fans. We wanted to try to make a Burroughs movie that was as close to the Burroughs books as possible. Also, it was a very interesting idea. It was probably one of the few Burroughs uh, novels that had a like a true science fiction idea running through it. The, uh, you know, the idea of, of, um, uh, of as it were, ancestry. Um, you know, people going from as it were newts to to humans. Um, so it, it was it, a little of that did get subdued and cut out in the final movie. And um, one of the things, one of my conditions was that we didn't have a volcano going off at the end of the movie because, you know, all these movies have volcanoes going off at the end. <laughs> and uh, and they say, oh, no, no, of course not. No, no. I mean, this is this was my first, I think it was my first experience of, of working in movies. And I still... I remember a volcano at the end. <laughs> I, I still thought that 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 Hollywood producers were, you know, were as good as their word. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that soon left me. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit a bit like um, that Nathaniel West movie, uh, not movie book about about you know about Hollywood, um, Day of the Locust. And uh, I I think um, anyway. So I I learned a lot of lessons writing that. That, that script, including not to trust the word of uh, of the producer, who was actually um, a classic cartoon Hollywood producer. I mean, he smoked these huge cigars. He was about three feet high, um, and he called everybody baby. Um, and uh, I mean, it was very hard to take him seriously. The the um, anyway, um, we wrote it. We wrote the script. Um, according to Burroughs, we I think we, we we what we did was we truncated. There are two early scenes with a lot of messing around on a U-boat, and uh, we we cut out one of those messing around on the U-boat scenes because they they were more or less replicated. But the rest of it was pretty much straight um, 
straight Burroughs, except we made the German character rather than making him a kind of swaggering Hun. Um, and of course, these stories were written during the First World War, so that's you know they had that characteristic to them. We turned the guy into um, a biologist uh, who'd be, you know who knew quite a bit about dinosaurs and the like, so he could be the voice of the um, of the theory, as it were. Um, while Doug McClure could be the guy, you know, running around saving girls from from dinosaurs. Um, and anyway, that 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 was um, we, we. I think it was this, it was the first the first movie to have fixed wing pterodactyls. Um, <laughs> that's I mean, the, most uh, it's, it, it was actually fairly effective. The given this was what. Early seventies, some I think seventy four. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, and uh, um, and I said to them, you know, I, I was quite impressed by the rushes. I said, yeah, how do you get those effects? And they said, oh, we just use glove puppets. We just shove our hands up the back of them and do the stuff <laughs> with with glove puppets. So, but they couldn't do that with the pterodactyls, of course. So they had to have them, you know, flying around fixed fixed wings because they couldn't they couldn't get <laughs> flapping um, in, into the stuff. So anyway, yeah, I I I, um, I enjoyed writing the film, and uh, was a bit disappointed, of course, in the volcanoes, which sure enough <laughs> did, did turn up. I remember I, I went I went on on the set one day. Um, it was at Shepparton, um, and uh, I, I saw these big tubs, oil drums of um, of what looked like oatmeal, and it, which actually turned out to be oatmeal, and. Uh, <laughs> And I said, you know, what are the drums for those drums for? And they said, oh, that's the oatmeal. And I said, well, yeah. I said, well, what's the oatmeal for? They said, oh, well, that's when people fall into the lava and, uh, you know, and get, get absorbed by the lava. I said, there isn't any lava in, uh, in, in the script. They said, no, no, it's where the volcano, <laughs> that's the first time I heard it. And it was far too late. <laughs> it's where the volcano goes off at the end. So it's at that point I began to, withdraw from the project I, I actually did have a contract to do the two other films that the the company made but i just couldn't face it jim stayed stayed with with it for a little longer than i did partly because he was slightly more fascinated by you know by the whole the whole business of filmmaking and so on um but eventually more fascinated by oatmeal yeah <laughs> well yeah yeah well i like oatmeal i'm not against i don't want to but i don't think i could eat a whole oil drum full i must admit um but <laughs> but uh, uh anyway jim 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 uh, bailed out as well i mean we both and the old guy by this time the egg rice Burrows incorporated had changed um managers they were in some kind of um flux at the time and uh, I like the I like the guy we were working with, um, and he really was a, you know serious. He wanted to do some you know some decent movies, but um, I think he left. And then um, Milton Zabuski, who I, I actually liked because Milton was was again very much like a classic old fashioned cartoon Hollywood producer, um, and uh, I, I knew him. Well, I already knew him from from uh, I think John Brunner, a science fiction writer, had had used to have him at parties, and he'd once sat down and told me how um, they were going to do this authentic Robin Hood um, film, and uh, when I saw it, it, it actually it was it used so many library clips 
that it covered about, I would say, at least a thousand years of history, um, given the costumes that the people were wearing in different scenes. Um, it was not an expensively made film. Um, I think it was called Last Siege of the Saxons in the, in the end. Um, and I don't think it's regarded as a classic. And I don't think it has the enthusiasm, you know, the enthusiasts for it that uh, Lamb at Time Forgot had. Um, I actually quite liked, you know, apart from the apart from the, the last bit, which was supposed to end on a slightly melancholy note, as the first one, as as the Burroughs one did, where he's, he 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 doesn't know whether he's going to be rescued or not, and you know, there's there's this sort of slight lyricism to it at the end, not knowing what's going to happen. And then, of course, I was going to write the sequel where where he gets the you know, other people come to Caprona and and just carried on from the Burroughs original. But uh, um, it was just too. I I, I, I don't know. I, I just had too much respect for the original material to want to want to see what happened happen again. So, what happened after that was? Um, I, oh no! Just hang on a minute. I think I must have. I think what? Oh, that's what happened. Um, they did. Uh, a, uh, a movie of my book, The Final Program, um, which was again a, a complete travesty of, of the of the of the novel, which happens. I mean, everybody complains about this, but uh, but but I mean, in my case, I have certain things I'm fairly serious about, and they um, and they reversed a lot of the the, um, the 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 meaning, the content of the you know of what I was trying to say. So I, I, I got very disappointed. The reason I took on the, the job, one of the reasons I took on the job for Land That Time Forgot, is because I wanted to learn how to write screenplays myself because I, I hadn't, uh, you know, I, I turned down the job of, of writing my own screenplay at the time because I didn't think I knew enough about it. Because I didn't realize at the time that the whole thing is a shambles and, you know, you can be, you can be 12 years old and, and, and an intelligent dog to, you know, and... and probably write half the movies that, that come out of, you know, the movie industry. Um, so I was, I, was, <laughs> I was slightly more serious than I probably should have been. I, I, I don't have that element of cynicism, which the best screenwriters tend to have, you know, um, where they just you know, write it and forget it. And I, I, you know, I don't blame them for being like that or doing. But there are too many people, you know, too many captains on board the ship, as it were, to, uh, to make it a very satisfactory job. I'm just steamed that I was, I was robbed of a sequel of one of my favorite movies when I was younger because they had to throw in a volcano. Yeah. That's well, just not fair. That is totally not fair. <laughs> I was very disappointed. I mean, I, I would love to have done, you know, to have done the others. It would have, um, I mean, I would love to have done a whole lot of them if, 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 you know, if the chances had come up, but essentially that, Land that time forgot was 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 I mean wasn't on a big budget but it was successful it it, it you know it made money but then they um, they you know they because Milton thought he could write and Milton could not write um, they gradually went downhill well not gradually they swiftly went downhill and they stopped making money they just didn't have the the quality which you know I know that I mean they're only you know, dinosaur adventures. It's not like the. I'm. I, I was writing Casablanca, but but it's still. You know, it still has to have some some authority to it. Some some sense of, 
some sense of, of you know, of, of, of well, the, 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 the maker's sort of concern, like the old Universal movies, you know, which, which, which you know, were made by, nearly all made, as it were, by James Whale and were, were very, very good movies. He knew what he was doing. Um, so I, 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 it did make me feel um, rather cynical. The, the, the final program, which again has become a cult movie, lots of people like it. I, but it was, it, which is fair enough. I mean, I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not one to, you know, to argue with people's taste. But um, I didn't like it, and it was disappointing to me. So when I did Land Time for God, I thought I was you know, going to do it. Then I had, I mean, I read a book called Letters from Hollywood, which um, is probably the best thing in that book is, is are the illustrations of Hollywood in the 70s um, and uh, by Mike Foreman. They're, they're, it's just full of beautiful colored, colored drawings. Um, and in that, I wrote how I was asked to go out to Hollywood to write with... Um, for Irving Kirshner, who did the second Star Wars um, movie, and at the at the time was riding very high on on that because, as I said, my dog Spot could have written the second Star Wars movie, and you know, and it would still have had uh, you know a huge success, and uh, <laughs> um, and it and it was it was um, it was when uh, Kirshner started to bad he bad mouthed every writer he'd ever worked with. And they were some of the best writers in Hollywood. I mean, really good people who, who are well-known, you know, known to be very good uh, writers. And one of them was Lee Brackett, who was a very good friend of mine. Uh, Lee Brackett had written the first script for, for Star Wars, and I suspect it was a much better script than Kirshner finally produced for the second, for the second movie. Um, uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, he, 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 that was, that, so he was doing well because of that. And, and this, I went, I actually went crazy during this, or I nearly had a breakdown. I mean, I'm a pretty, pretty healthy, um, I, I'm not the sort of person who usually has nervous breakdowns and, uh, uh, but, but working with Kirshner was just a nightmare. And if you, if you want to read a book about the worst that can happen to you in Hollywood, I think probably um, letters from Hollywood is. I, I, I did them as a series of of letters written to uh, um, my friend J.G. Ballard, who was then editing a magazine and had asked me. I'd written him just personal letters, and he'd said, "You know, I'd like to publish these." So I started writing them for him for the magazine, and uh, and then they were published in this very beautiful book which, because it didn't have anything to do with fantasy whatsoever, well, unless Hollywood, you know, depends <laughs> what you mean. But anyway, because it had nothing, um, nothing to do with Hollywood, and nothing to do with fantasy, didn't do very well. They printed a vast number of copies. You could pick them up on eBay. I'm not advertising this really, but you can pick them up on eBay for a, for a, for a very small price, and it's worth the price just for the illustrations. We will definitely um, have to look for those. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to find. It's it's um, e I mean, you can get them for a few dollars on on eBay, or you could until relatively recently. Mm -hmm. It may be that people have discovered. You know what happens? People discover that you can, and then then all the dealers start buying them up and then they you know then they sell them for some vast price but it's um it's a book i i, I like to recommend to people because they really are beautiful illustrations uh, mike foreman's probably one of the best illustrators uh, 
um, alive, uh, uh, you know, book illustrators alive. And I, and, I, and I really was, it was a privilege to have him. And they're all colored. I don't think there's a single black and white um, picture in the whole book. And there's lots of pictures. Um, I was going to do another book with him called Letters from Morocco, but uh, um, and um, but but this this book Letters from Hollywood did so badly I never got to do my Letters from Morocco. But Paul, <laughs> well, Paul Mike took his whole family out to Morocco, which they hated, um, <laughs> in order to to to, uh, to prepare for the book, um, so which never never came out. Well, we've covered some books. We've covered some films. Uh, what about music? You've been involved with yeah. quite a number of projects. Which one was your favorite? Well, my favorite, I suppose, was the last one I did wholly by myself. Oh, that's not that stupid. I, I meant that I controlled wholly. I mean, I. It, anyway, it was. A, it was. A, it's called. Um, Live from the Terminal Cafe, which is a lie because although there really is a Terminal Cafe, cafe in, in Mississippi, um, which I've been to, um, this, this, this was not the Terminal Cafe involved and it wasn't live. Uh, we made it in a studio in, uh, in Paris. Um, but uh, I made it with my friend Martin Stone, who's now dead, and, and Martin wanted to do, um, I don't know, he wanted to do an album with me and and uh, I wanted to do an album with him. <laughs> He'd been in a lot of really good bands. He's a superb guitarist. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's one of the sort of legendary guitarists that, that people in the industry, as it were, know rather than people in the, you know, in the music papers know. Um, so we did that. Um, and, it, and it links in with the books, a series of books I did around the turn of this century called um, the War Amongst the Angels was, was the last book, and Blood was the first book. And uh, the middle book, because uh, I always write in trilogies, was called Fabulous Harbors. And it, it, was, it, it uses that background, which is, um, which is very strange. It's a mixture of absurdism and... and, uh, and um, I, I've and the development of my multiverse idea, um, um, which now, of course, has become just a, a name for comic book people to say why there are there are glitches in their in their storylines, but uh, <laughs> but it it, uh, it it was originally an an idea I, I, based on the many worlds theory, which which of course Wells Wells did, was the first to do in fiction. Um, I I tried to come up with um, a, a theory that, that 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 explained the idea of a of a, of a multiverse um, using um, Mandelbrot's mathematics, um, and it's it's uh, and, and I did most of this most most of the explanation for all of this is in the comic book I did with with. Um, mostly with um, Walter Simonson, called um, uh, called Michael Moorcock's Multiverse. This is before Multiverse was a generally used name. It was, it was the the um, the nineties, um, and uh, so I, I I I took a number of storylines and and gradually brought them together um, 
one one's an Elric storyline, one's a Jerry Cornelius storyline, and and Meta Temple Detective, and uh, um, what's the other one? Well, one's another storyline. Um, what the hell was it? Anyway, there are three storylines, and eventually, in the final, there are twelve issues, and in the final issue, all the storylines merge um, to become one. And in that book, which is just been reissued again by uh, Titan. Um, I explain my, as it were, theory of the multiverse in, in, I suppose you call it pseudo-scientific terms. I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to be, to be, um, to be a, a mathematician or, 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 or a scientist, but, but um, it's, it's the best shot I could give it to making a rational explanation for 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 many worlds idea it's disappointing basically because um it, with mandelbrot you know you, it's the idea of self similarity you've got you've got uh, every world is pretty much exactly the same so there are no no vast changes between one and another until you've been through millions and millions of of change of of of, of versions of of the of the of the universe um, so you, it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a downer if you, you know, if you, if you like the idea of, of, of another world being next door, um, the other, cause the world next door is not, not any different <laughs> to, our, to our, our world as in Mandelbrot's ideas of self-similarity. Anyway, so, so, so I, what I like to do is, is I like to take a form that's regarded by um by um the literati as a low form such as comic books as well they're not so much now but they were then um and put serious big ideas into the into the comic or into the into into whatever form it is um um so you know i just i like just i like to have take a popular a popular form that's usually not particularly serious, and give it a and and add to it, use use the structures of it and the and the and the pleasures of it, um, but then put something else in to make it, if you like, slightly more um, serious. Much like Land That Time Forgot, which I which I <laughs> which, which is, uh, we, we come back to. Um, so anyway, I, I don't want to bore on. I'm sorry. It sounds boring. Um, but anyway, that that that's where um, that that's uh, that's where my multiverse, um, which is probably closer to some of the scientists' ideas of, of many worlds and and string theory and so on, um, are. Um, but they're not. They're not. They're, they don't have a very a, a very snazzy, um, you know. Um, well, it's not like Batman and Superman, as it were, um, but but I, but but I, I do my best, and 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 that's and sorry, that's what the uh, the songs of 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 uh, Live from the Terminal Cafe come out of that the the books where I first started to explore this multiverse, this idea oh, wow. of the multiverse. Um, but the songs the songs are Cajun influenced mostly, so it's uh, it's mostly a sort of country. Cajun um, feel to it. There's there's narrative that probably puts anybody off 
um, to start with. Then then it goes into very um, pretty much straight straight country Cajun uh, style style songs. Um, and I'm about to do a record with with Alan Davy. Cleopatra is the is the record company, um, and um, the Bouchard brothers who were. Uh, um, as it were, one of the mainstays of Blue Oyster Cult, have, uh, particularly Albert, um, have been doing um, a long musical project, which is just about coming to the end on um, a series of books I did called The End of All, uh, called The Dances at the End of Time, and uh, which was a romance and a comedy set at the end of time. And uh, they they liked them a lot, so they've done this musical project, which is which is over. I think four records. First two books are done as a record each, and the last book as uh, is, uh, is done as uh, um, as two records. So I just got the the first of the last <laughs> first of the last uh, wow. third in in uh, just just the other day. Um, and then I'm going to do, um, and I, I'm on that too. I mean, I'm playing on it and singing on it. Um, and uh, um, and then I'm doing a, I'm a, a guy called Alan Davy who used to be in Hawkwind. He's, he's a drummer and he does a, a huge amount of stuff. Um, lives in California now. He's he wanted me to to re-sing, as it were, a number of my own old old songs plus a number of my sort of opposite number Robert Calvert who we, we were we both fronted Hawkwind at different times my my Robert was uh, was 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 well he was crazy to put it shortly and had to had to go away for a few weeks every so often to uh, to rest in a in a nursing home and uh, and when that happened I would fill in for him fronting fronting the band and because he was worried that I was going to take over his job, I made it clear to him that as soon as he came out of the bin, um, which is the technical term I didn't use before, but as soon as he came out of the uh, of the institution, he um, he could you know I I would back off and he could come back to his job, which is pretty much how we ran it for a number of years. And I've always liked his songs. He's a very very good songwriter. He was a he was a beautiful songwriter. And so I'm going to sing some of his songs as well as some of my own on, on this new new album, which we're going to start probably in the new year, I think, now. Um, Did we get like a full-blown musical out of it at this point? I mean, um, no, no, the entire well, media the, genre? <laughs> The, con the concept album I did was the first album I did, which was called New World's Fair. Um, and that, that really, that was a, you know, a, as it, you know, it was a concept album. Um, which I suppose is you know the nearest you can get to a musical in in uh, in that 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 way, but um, that it, it I, again I wasn't entirely satisfied. I'm never satisfied with what I've done anyway, so it's silly of me to keep saying I wasn't satisfied with this, I wasn't satisfied with that. But but um, <laughs> I do. I'm I'm always trying. I'm always trying to improve. You know, <laughs> it's like you know, get on a school report can do better. And my own school report always <laughs> goes can do better, because um, it's always after I think the book's we're been all published. Like that. Yes, I think yeah. so. I think so. At least 
if we are if we're sane. I think it's the people who don't think, you know, who think they are doing better that, uh, that probably are the ones that, uh, that aren't doing better. <laughs> and I, I've known one or two people like that who tell you, you know, that they're the greatest writer in the universe or whatever, and uh, they're usually not really very good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it that's been, the music. It has been wonderful having you back with us, and our time together has been all too brief, but at the risk of having your wife yell at us, we should yes. probably start rapping. <laughs> oh, well, you, you only get it for a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, yeah, fair I, enough. I, I actually, she's not very well, so she hasn't got as much steam up as she normally would have. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I enjoy – well, I mean, you're asking me to talk about myself. Who doesn't like people? <laughs> well, we like listening to you talk about yourself. <laughs> well, thank so. you. Thank you. Um, and you I'd, are I'd full of amazing stories. I'd doing it again sometime. I mean, yes. I enjoyed it. We would love long. to have you again. Okay, thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, in Me the meantime, too. for our listeners, if you want to tune in this coming Tuesday night to see uh, well the other people on the screen currently, uh, Mark and Bob and myself are going to be talking <laughs> about the Blue Star by Fletcher Pratt, and Ooh. that'll be our new. Uh, That's interesting. I look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, great. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a, I, I like Fletcher Pratt. I, I, um, I, I, I you know. He's not that well known anymore, and uh, and it's uh, mm -hmm. nice to know you you're doing something about absolutely. it. Absolutely, we have to yeah. honor everybody who paved yeah. the way, right? Am I book yeah, writing? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you do. <laughs> well, I think he he and Sprague de Camp between them did did a did did some great. I mean, the monks certainly amongst my favorites, if not my you know my. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love them. Um, yeah, great, good. Okay, well, I look forward to that. <laughs> Not so much to me, but the blue star, which I hope, I hope, I hope, I'll, I hope you, you know, I hope, I hope I get the blue star as well as, as well as me waffling on. <laughs> <laughs> it's always great to see you, and yes, I would love to, to meet up with you again. See what you've done next year around this time. Well, yeah, I'm just finishing a, um, the last book in a in a, in, in, a, in another trilogy, so um, um, I think to, I think next year will be music mainly. I'm not sure yet, but uh, awesome. and probably we some detective wait. stuff. Oh, yep. nice. good. Well, I'll uh, I'll keep busy then. <laughs> <laughs> and our fans love you. Your fans love you. So. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. With that, um, just want to give a, a quick shout out to uh, Linda Moorcock for her patience. Uh, Elena, of course. And thanks, Mark and Bob and all of our fans for making this happen today. And and thank you for coming back, Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Thank Absolute you so treat. Great. I'll see you again. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cheers. Bye. Good night, everybody. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast.
Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media.